Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about pasture crop protection programs. But even if you don't have a pasture, you probably have a farmyard that you may want to control weeds in. It's a lot of these same herbicides, so we're going to talk through that a little bit today. As always, we'd be happy to take your phone call if you've got any question for us or if there's something you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Before we do, I just want to let you know we do have a couple of upcoming Ag PhD winter workshops. The next one is February 3rd. We're actually... Uh, all booked up on that. We're restricting how many people we are allowing into the Morton Center. So in terms of our live in-person attendance, we're full. But you can participate virtually if you would like to. Just go to agphd.com to learn more about that. It's free actually to any of our Ag PhD Insider Magazine subscribers. The magazine costs 50 bucks for five years or 20 bucks for a year. And then you can participate in all of our meetings for free, get all the information, uh, get all the handouts, all the stuff that, that we do. Uh, we also have a tiling clinic come up coming up, and that is not full yet. That is March 16th, so it's a couple months from now. But if you're interested in drainage at all, we are going to talk through a lot of the issues that there are in terms of what it can do to the soil, what it can do to your yields, but then also how you can solve those things by tiling in an environmentally friendly way. We'll also have different equipment on hand there, go through uh, how to operate some of the tiling technology pieces. So it'll be a lot of fun. That's coming up March 16th. Again, you can go to agphd.com to learn more about any of our upcoming events. All right, right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, first one comes from Dave. He said, I've got a pH in the 7, 5 to 8 range in spots in my field. It has pretty good drainage, but it isn't pattern tiled in that area. My base saturation is about 90% calcium, though, and only 7% magnesium. My question is, should I add some magnesium to try to get that ratio right, or will adding magnesium raise my pH even more? Should I be using elemental sulfur, or will that only reduce my magnesium? Okay, yesterday we talked about fixing this calcium-magnesium thing. And what I had said is, well, it is important, and I can prove to you, I can show you data, that, and, and you can get it, your own data on your farm that will show that when you get the calcium-magnesium thing in balance, your yields will be higher. But to fix it in the short term is expensive, and I don't know that it's going to be economically feasible even at $5 corn. But over the long term, will it pay? Absolutely it will. But usually we talk about working on it slowly after we fixed a lot of the other things. So with pH being a little high, our first thing is, I and, and the comment was made, good drainage. I just want to make sure we have great drainage. So maybe your good would be my great, but I don't know. If you don't have great drainage, I'm probably going to work on that. And then I'm going to take a look at all your other nutrients. How are you doing on P and K and sulfur? And 
everything from iron to zinc to boron, copper, manganese. You see where I'm going with this. Let's fix all those things. If we don't have the right levels for all of that stuff, then the calcium-magnesium thing isn't going to pay that great anyway. But you're, the, the one question about elemental sulfur, if let's say, for example, that you're low on sulfur, and of course you have two choices for sulfur, any of the sulfate forms or the elemental sulfur form, well, I'm going to lean toward elemental sulfur because that will drop your pH slightly. If you're only using a little elemental sulfur, it'll drop your pH just slightly. So why would you not do that? All right. The other thing is, in terms of magnesium, do you need more right now? I would, and Darren, I don't by chance, I, 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 I'm wondering, did he send us his magnesium parts per million? Or did he just send parts per million, just the base Okay, because here's where I'm going with this. Let's say it was 30 parts per million. Well, yes, you need a lot more magnesium right now. If it is 300 parts per million, then that's where I'm going, okay you probably have enough magnesium out there. We want to try to drive that calcium down over time and we can replace the calcium in your soil with some other nutrients potentially like potassium and sulfur and stuff. So I'm probably going to be more interested in that. But again, if I had really low parts per million of magnesium, I'd do everything I can to get more magnesium out there immediately, whether that's throwing magnesium sulfate out, uh, K-mag, I mean something. So that's what I'd be interested in. So that's kind of my follow-up question. So if you want, you could send us that information and then 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 we'll give you a recommendation from there. And another question along those lines came in. I've got a saline soil. My pH is 8.5. Can I use sulfuric acid to fix it or at least get it down a point to 7.5? Well, I doubt it. And here's why. Usually a saline soil is simply poorly drained. You fix the drainage, your saline level goes down, your pH goes down, and you have your problem solved. So when we start talking about adding a whole bunch of sulfur out there, you're going to create more problems than you're going to solve if it's a saline soil in a lot of cases because we don't have the drainage. For example, if you put elemental sulfur out, it's not going to turn to hydrogen sulfate, which is uh, sulfuric acid. It's going to turn to hydrogen sulfide. And we don't want that. Your soil is going to smell like rotten eggs. So fix the drainage. That's probably your solution. All right. Uh, thanks for the question. Got uh, some feedback from Brazil. And we were talking about mare's tail. They said in Brazil it's called buva. It's a big problem in soybean fields, and it spreads very quickly. So you want to get after that right away. I agree. It can be a big problem up here, too, especially where we're not doing tillage in the north we've get we've got winter coming and a lot of times we see mare's tail primarily not always entirely but primarily as a winter annual so if we take care of it in the fall that's a good time to do it it's really tough once it gets big and well established out in our fields to take it down thanks for the comment i really appreciate that we'll get back to more of your calls and questions and our discussion on pasture crop protection products coming up right after this you're listening to ag phd radio Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. 
Always read and follow label instructions. It's about time. Applied at planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient flutriophol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Inferrow Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. Now, if you want to talk about pasture crop protection programs, that's our main topic today. That's fine. If you have something else on your mind, that's okay too. So don't be afraid. Just give us a call or send us an email. That's fine. Head out to Penn State right now. we got Dwight Lingenfelter with us. Dwight, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Good to be here again. All right. So we're talking pasture today, switching gears on you just a little bit. Uh, let's let's kind of set the table. What are some of the key things that you need to keep in mind in pastures in your area? Are there specific weeds that are problems or specific types of grasses that may require slightly different management? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good question. So, so really, before we get into specifics about weeds or herbicides or things like that, I think a lot of people need to realize when we're dealing with with uh, pasture systems or hay systems that you know, it's the establishment and the, the maintenance of those throughout the life is, is the most important thing. You know, making sure you have competitive species and maintaining, you know, good agronomics, maintaining good soil fertility and pH. And grazing management is a big thing that we always deal with, you know, a lot of overgrazing. Um, and, and then once once we start to, to misalign those things, then that's when then weeds generally come in and take over and become problematic. I think that overgrazing thing is a big one, Dwight. You mentioned overgrazing, and I know for our geography, it was dry at the end of the season, and there's a forecast right now with the La Nina going on that's making guys nervous that, oh, no, what if it stays dry? Well, definitely don't overgraze those pastures, or I can already tell you we're going to have a weedy mess out there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we typically typically think about herbicides as, the backbone of most of these these programs from a weed control standpoint, but really that that's that's one step. But you need to make sure the other agronomics and, and mowing and, and things like that are, are all part of the the overall uh, health of the pasture and maintenance of the pasture as well. All right. Now, when it comes to annual weeds, normally I'm not as worried about that in a pasture situation, but 
the perennials and biennials can be a major problem. Have you found the same thing to be true? Is it mostly the perennials and biennials you're fighting? Yeah, I, I would say so. In most cases, you know, we're dealing with yeah a lot of thistle, milkweed, dogbane, horse nettle, things of that nature. Although at the same time, too, I, I know I'm getting more calls about a lot of annual grasses, um, especially you know, mid-season, late-season, um, some of the things like large crabgrass, um, foxtails, yellow foxtail. And then another one that we're dealing with here, mainly in the northeast and I, other parts of the country as well, is this one called Japanese stiltgrass. Um, that can be very problematic as well in, in pastures and, and really aggressive. Okay, so talk to us about that. What are you doing to keep those annual grasses under control? It, it's a challenge, especially in these in these these grass-based forage systems. Um, and a lot, thankfully, right now we have uh, two pendimethalin products we recommend: uh, Prowl H2O and Satellite Hydrocap that we typically recommend to make sure you get get uh, split application of those one early. Um, and what I mean by early, at least in our, our part of the country here, is is in late March, early April, and then you'll probably need to come back mid-season after after the residual runs out with another application um, to get some of those later season grasses that may be germinating um, at that time of year. Interesting. Okay. Un- well, unfortunately, we don't have any post post grass herbicides, germinicides that will take anything out in in a grass-based system right now. That's the only, at least in our area. Yeah, that's that's sure a challenge. Okay, so we start off with some pendimethalin. That's one thing to think about. Now, when it comes to some of those those uh, tough perennial or biennial weeds, you talked about some of the thistle species and milkweed and horse nettle and some of these these tough weeds. What are you seeing growers doing there? Are, are most growers using products that contain some residual? Are growers concerned because they might rotate out of pasture? What's typical for your area? Yeah, so... I'll be honest. The, a lot of the, the milestone-based products, the, you know, the amino pyrrolid, um, you know, are popular in, in some areas, but but we we kind of hedge against those only because of of issues relating to um, you know residuals in in the manure and then also in the hay if by chance it gets moved around. So so I know we're a little bit hesitant to always recommend something like like that. Um, you know, quite honestly, I, I recommend a lot of, of uh, uh, 2,4-D and dicamba, a quarter 2,4-D and a pint of dicamba. Um, and, and in some cases, I recommend crossbow, at least three quarts of crossbow. Um, and and that, that would be for, to help control, you know, things like milkweed or dogbane, um, you know, other, other type of perennials. But it, it, can, be, it can be challenging. And, and, and even with those, you're only getting maybe 70, 80% control out of uh, some of those products as well. Now, you mentioned with the timing on the grasses that a lot of these annual grasses, if you can get some pendimethalin out there early before those grasses are coming, you can keep them down and you don't ever have to deal with them. But how about on on some of these broad leaves? Are you going out with fall treatments? I know it's getting a lot more popular in some areas of the country. Other guys like to do it in spring. I suppose it probably depends on the operation a little bit. Yeah, and, and and typically what 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 I recommend, especially with a lot of these perennials, is you know fall, late summer fall applications generally do the generally do the trick. Um, and, and if there's a way to get some kind of a a mowing or clipping operation in in the pasture, that usually helps at least once or twice to kind of set those those uh, weeds up for for a proper timing late in the season, so they don't get too big and, and start to start to set seed. But then you have the herbicide there at the late summer, early fall, 
the systemic herbicide to get down into the roots to have a much better kill. When you're spraying things in the springtime, you're kind of going against the flow. Um, at that point, a lot of the 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 uh, root the sugars and the root and root reserves are coming coming out of, out of the plant up into it to to push growth above ground. And and in most cases, the herbicide's not not as effective at that time as it would be in the fall. Now you mentioned. Uh... Uh, cold and warm and spring and fall. And I, I know at this point to, to recommend it, we, Brad and I get a hard time, Dwight, because we'll say, oh man, I wish we could have put a fall treatment on. And well, we didn't. So what do we do now? Well, if you're going out in the spring, one of the things that I worry about is you talked about 2,4-D and dicamba, for example, they don't work very well when it's cold. They kind of need things yeah. to warm up too. But I've got a lot of growers I talk to that say, man, I want to spray the pasture the first time I get a nice day because as soon as it starts warming up, I want to be planting my corn. Well, that right. doesn't work so good. I think it should almost work the opposite way in many cases, just to try to get to some nicer spray weather. But what do you see in Pennsylvania? Yeah, and that, that's a very good point. I mean, a lot, a lot of it's the fact that we're just dealing with the biology of the plant. You know, as 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 things are, are cool, obviously the plant's going to be slowed down. So even if you do spray, you know, the activity of that herbicide in the in the plant's going to be going to be less and slower. Um, until it does warm up, so 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 you're right. It, it is definitely a balancing act, trying to trying to you know get applications out uh, timely, and and then also dealing with, with other other operations on the farm as well. So um, that that that's why, in, if, if possible, in, you know, getting some kind of a mowing maybe early in the season to keep things at bay a little bit better, and then and then try to time the herbicide for fall. Now, one last question for you, Dwight, resistance management. I, I talk to a lot of farmers that say, you know what, I'm using 2,4-D or I'm using dicamba. It's working good for me. I don't want to switch and I don't want to have to think about lots of products. I like raising cattle or I like raising sheep or horses or whatever it is. And I get it. It is pretty fun working with animals and sometimes working with weed control is not the most fun thing. But are you concerned about resistance management with, with some of these different products that are being used? I mean, Dicamba and 2,4-D have been around a long time. Right. Yeah. So when we think about resistance, you know, we're, we're obviously you know dealing with with weeds you know for example palmer amaranth and water hemp and one of these that have real real um high high um you know development of, of seeds and things of that nature that, that 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 the life cycle is a little bit different than some of the some of the species that we're dealing with in in a pasture setting um generally the species that we deal with in in pastures generally aren't as prone per se I kind of say that, you know, kind of hesitantly, but, but you know, as compared to some of the other other species that we deal with in, in more of a field a field row crop setting. Yeah, so, yeah that's so a good point. So we're always concerned about resistance, but, you know, it seems like the species we're dealing with are a little bit different. Dwight Lingenfelter with Penn State. Great information as always. Thank you so much, Dwight. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Have a good day. Talking about pasture crop protection programs, but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. 
I hope farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about pastures on today's program. Kind of looking at things a little bit different. And you may have heard we were talking with Dwight Lingenfelter with Penn State. Dwight mentioned a few weeds that you say, huh, boy, if we can get that under control in the pasture, that'd be awesome because it's getting out into my fields too. And hey, I get it. We're talking about a lot of the same weeds, but some different ones here when we think about biennials and perennials that we get out there. But we did talk about some annual grasses, and I know that can be a challenge in the south too. We're real happy to have Rocky Lemus with us right now with Mississippi State's Pardon me, Rocky. I almost said Michigan State. I don't want to do that. don't want to mix that up. Uh, you know, we have uh, opposite poles here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, talk to me about the problem grasses. I know we get a lot of questions out of the South about uh, Bermuda grass and, and Pastora and Plateau and some of these different grass control products. Mm-hmm. You know, and Bermuda grass, you know, we, we have one of the major issues we face 
I guess in the south uh, will be uh, our Johnson grass is a major issue that we see in our veneer grass, both uh, hay fields and pastures. Uh, um, Astora is one of those that we can use to control each, uh, sort of the weeds, especially not only grassy, but some of the uh, annual weeds as well. Uh, when we use Pastora and, and Bermuda grass, we recommend that you do an application uh, before the uh, Bermuda grass start to green up. So we have to wait after the first cut of hay uh, and do an application within, within seven days of cutting the hay. Okay, so timing is pretty fussy on, on getting those that, things under control. That's correct. And, you know, even though it's labeled for um, also controlling um, uh, foxtail, um, we have not seen a, a high efficacy in controlling foxtail. And one of the issues that we have, especially in, in, in the south and in Mississippi, is that we have what we call knotted root uh, foxtail, which is a perennial. And, and that's, that's as a devil itself tried to, to control it because there's not a, an, a very effective herbicide out there to control uh, that type of foxtail. Oh, interesting. Yeah, weed identification is so important. And I know that I would say for most farmers anyway, identifying specific grasses, probably not their strong suit. Would you say the same for a lot of the uh, the livestock growers too with, with pastures or the hay growers that identifying specific grasses may not be the strong suit? Uh, that's, that's correct. You know, and we are lucky now that with technology uh, we see a lot of producers actually be able to take pictures and, and text us uh, those pictures and try to get a quick identification before actually and a recommendation on herbicide before they decide to make a decision. Uh, I think, uh, you know, making uh, the correct identification and make sure that you're scouting your fields uh, for the type of weeds that you have out there so you can choose a, a more broad spectrum herbicide that uh, will give you a better economic return in those pastures and hay fields is very important. All right, so we're in the north. We're we're a long ways north from where you're at, Rocky, and we get cold up here. Guys will complain about the cold sometimes. I kind of like it in the fact that I know from November until April, I don't have any weeds growing out there that I have to control. You got a little longer growing season than we do, so are there certain times of year that you really try to target pasture herbicide applications to get weeds under control? Uh, we we do because you know especially we have a lot of winter annual weeds that we have to deal with, uh, especially you know in our uh, cool season annual pastures like a ryegrass or the small grains that we use for grazing, especially CRI wheat or a treated kale. Uh, buttercup is probably one of the major ones that we have. So uh, producers try to control the buttercup in February here, but it's going to be too late. Our recommendation is that you need to try to uh, uh, target those buttercups usually in, in mid to late December. You're going to see a better control. And you might be able to get away with a, just a 2,4-D application in that time of the year. If you wait later in the season, like in now or between now and February, you're going to have to start looking at a different product like a Grayson next where you have the 2,4-D with aminopyrrolid uh, to get a good control. Uh, Hembit and also Carolina geranium are all the two broadleaf weeds that we see a lot of issues in our pasture this time of the year. Yeah, I love that there's some different weeds as we travel around. The, I mean, there's some weeds, like you mentioned henbit. I, I know that one real well. I don't know Carolina geranium as well. And I, 
I guess there are some different weeds that are out there. You mentioned 2,4-D, and then you also mentioned graze on next, where you've got a residual component. Do you find that to be important when you've got a long growing season and with some of these tough weeds? Yes, we do, especially you know, especially uh, when you're using graze on next. You know, one another thing that I forgot to mention is you know we get a lot of uh, plantains and also curly dog uh, coming this time of the year as well, and some of the thistles. So from that point of of having diesel control already in Mississippi or in the south this time of the year is very important. So having that residual with the amino pearl and the grace on that, it gave us a, a, a better chance to control a more broad spectrum of these weeds that we're dealing with. One thing when we were talking with Dwight Lingenfelter earlier, he had just mentioned that they find more problems when they don't have the proper maintenance happening out in the pasture, like soil fertility, overgrazing, some of these problems. Do you run into the same thing in the South? Oh, yeah. You know, that's usually a problem. You know, overgrazing is, I think, it's one of the major issues that we see a lot of the pastures around the, uh, the southern United States and, you know, open that ground and, and not letting those grasses be able to have the, the rest period that they need to be competitive opens a lot of opportunity for opportunistic weeds actually co- coming there and actually start taking over the pastures. It's something that we see very common happening with weed as well. Uh, we see more pigweed coming into pastures uh, than than before, and the reason for that is because we are actually reducing that competitive edge that grasses have. Even though we are we have those warm season grasses that so supposed to be more active growing and, and competitive in the summer, like a bahia grass and Bermuda grass, we still see that weed pressure being a major issue. All right. When you talk about some of these different weeds that you're fighting, I know one thing that's been interesting in the industry lately is there's starting to be some more new products and new combinations. Uh, do you get to look at a lot of new products, Rocky? Uh, like one, we get a lot of questions about the Duracore. Have you looked at Duracore and some of these other new things coming out? Uh, we, we are. We, you know, we are actually still doing testing on those. You know, every time that a new product comes into the market for the passion range, uh, area, we try to make sure that we collect some data and we look at efficacy in different weeds and, you know, look at at least a two-year in different pasture, different grazing conditions to see how those uh, herbicides might work, but also looking at residual and efficacy of those herbicides as well. Uh, so it should be uh, something that we do. You know, we see that uh, there's new products coming in the market also for uh, controlling weeds where uh, maintaining the clovers like a pro clover so we are actually actually still on that you know experimental phase and see how they might fit into our into our pasture systems in the south now in mississippi obviously the weather can change in a hurry and and you've get you get a lot of extreme things how how did growers hold up with storms that came through this year are, are you concerned about flooding heading into the spring any of those issues and does that change what you do for weed control or pasture management Yes, we do. You know, especially uh, our, our spring time is, is very wet in the south. So we get a lot of rain. So timing of irrigation becomes very crucial. Uh, we always recommend that producers at least have a, a four to six hours window uh, before you try to spray any pasture. So you actually, uh, you don't wash out the herbicide that you use, invest a lot of money and try to put out there. So timing becomes very essential to that. And um, and also, not only the timing, but also making sure that you have the the uh, correct formulation, the rate, but also uh, pay attention to the different grazing restrictions that you might have 
along with the sprawl or hay restriction as well. Yeah, lots of things to keep in mind here when you're talking about those hay fields and pastures. We're talking with Rocky Lemus down at Mississippi State. Rocky, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the information today, and good luck to you heading into the spring. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Talking about pasture crop protection programs, and I thought that was really good. Rocky had a number of different weeds here that we're not fighting up in the north, so hopefully you found that interesting and and useful for your farm. Looking at winter annual broadleaf weeds, looking at some of the annual and perennial grasses that are out there, a lot of different things to keep in mind, and it comes back to uh, management and maintenance of that grass as well to help these products work their best. We'll talk a little more about that and take your calls and questions too coming up next. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Credit Extreme, the herbicide with dual salt technology that makes all the difference. Faster uptake, quicker rain fastness, and better control in variable weather, something we've all had our fair share of. When you need more powerful weed control for challenges like lamb's quarters and velvet leaf, with excellent safety to round up ready crops, you need Credit Extreme. New Farm and Credit Extreme, here to help. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open if you have an agronomic question at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. Brian, I wanted to just hit on one thing here. When it comes to managing pastures, there there are several things that we see as common problems, and Rocky Lemus highlighted this down in Mississippi. Dwight Lingenfelter said the same thing happens up in Pennsylvania, and I know it happens where we farm too, that pastures sometimes get overgrazed, especially when things get dry out there, and it makes it a real challenge to control weeds. And we see a lot of weeds getting started when we have overgrazing of pastures. So we've seen a huge benefit from rotational grazing where you only give your livestock access to one part of the pasture. You leave them on that one part for a while and then you move them to another part and then lock them out and give that part of the pasture that they were grazing in time to recover. And when you do that, you've got better grass growth, you've got better weed control in those areas, and you don't necessarily have to use all the herbicides. Because I'll tell you this, if you overgraze a pasture, you can plan on, you're going to need some herbicides to get things turned back around. Yeah, and I think it's just the overall mentality with the pasture of not treating it like a crop. We, we consider crop separate from pasture, and I don't think that should be the case. Pasture is a crop. Your job with the pasture is to try to produce as much grass as possible. And I think literally just treating it as such, you're going to maybe hopefully think about it a little bit differently. So there's not much we want to do different in pasture than we would in what we would consider croplands. That means soil test. That means consider some some tiling or drainage improvement. That means uh, treating the weeds as an enemy rather than just a nuisance in there and it's really going to hurt your overall production so you've got to be on that early and making sure it's done timely and then yeah I mean rotational grazing is super super important so I mean there are a lot of things that that go into this I wanted to talk about one other thing as well that you can do in the pasture and that's rise up smart grass if you're not doing in this in your pasture Um, Let me just be blunt. I think it's kind of crazy not to do it. It's so proven. And if you don't believe this, just get uh, one jug of gibberellic acid. So we use Rise Up Smart Grass, but you can use whatever you want. I don't care. But the point is, when it's cool in the spring and the fall, then your grass is not producing enough natural gibberellic acid. So the grass is not growing as much, which means you don't get as much tonnage. You can trick the plant into thinking things are better than they are, and it's fine. There's nothing wrong with this. You take some gibberellic acid and you spray over the top of the crop for three to five bucks an acre. That's it. Three to five dollars an acre. You do this once in the fall. You do it once in the spring. You're going to have more growth after you do this, and you're going to get more tonnage. You will see that your three to five dollars will probably pay fivefold, tenfold, whatever, it's going to make an absolute difference. So I think that's something that has to be done. And I want to come back to the weed control aspect too, and especially broadleaves. We typically have more problems with broadleaves, but you could certainly have issues with grass, and that's where we talk about Plateau and Pastora and products like that, and, and Pendimethalin or Prowl. But for years, people have been using 2,4-D. And I'm not saying don't ever use 2,4-D, but what I am saying is we're seeing more tolerance in the weeds that we have in pastures. So I I know when our dad was using 2,4-D in the pasture, he was using a lower rate. As he got to be older, he said, guys, I'm having to bump my rate. (laughs) 
Even for me as a young agronomist, I remember this. 30 years ago, I was having guys go out with a certain rate, and then I started having them bump it because they weren't getting the weed control, and then they had to bump it again. And now we're to the point where I'm going, you know, I'm almost up to a half a gallon an acre of LV4, or that would be one and a third quarts of LV6, in order to get the weed control that I'm looking for. Well, by the time I do that, I'm spending almost as much as I would for a good product like Distinct, Duracore, Chaparral, Tordon, Milestone, something like that, that's going to give me much longer control and overall better control in the short term too. So I would just encourage you to maybe take a look at some other things. I love Milestone. That's the very best thing for thistles. I love Tordon. That's the very best thing for leafy spurge, and it's good on a number of other weeds too. The thing with both Milestone and Tordon, and the next product I'll talk about, Chaparral, is they last for a crazy long time in the soil. So you're going to get weed control the next year, and maybe even the year after that. And I'm not saying perfect control, but you're going to get some. Anyway, Chaparral is a combination of Ally and Milestone. So the Milestone's in there, so it's, it's got long residual, but Ally does too. Ally's in, in ALS. Anyway, chaparral is what we like best for a lot of shrubs. Uh, when we, we start talking about shrubs out there, it's usually chaparral. Okay, then I go to the new Duracore. So as opposed to Grazon Next, which is 2,4-D and Milestone, I prefer Duracore now because I don't have 2,4-D. I have a kind of 2,4-D-like product in Duracore that has a little more residual, a little better weed control, and a lot less drift. So I like Duracore. I also like Distinct. Now, Distinct is the same thing as status that you would use in corn. And for my, I, I just say this, my opinion, the very best post-emerge broadleaf killer in corn is status. And it's not even close. It's so much better than everything else. Now, HPPTs are so much cheaper and they're they're good. So it's like, well, why am I going to spend so much more money on status? So I get that. But here's where I'm going. Distinct is roughly one third the price of status. Okay. So if I look at status and I go, wow, that's an amazing product. I can get the same exact thing in pasture, only it doesn't have the corn safener in it because you don't need that obviously in pasture. And I can do it for one third the money. Sign me up. So I love Distinct. It's a great product. So the first thing I would step out of, if you say, well, I want to try something different than 2,4-D, then I would go to Distinct. Distinct has a splash of dicamba in it, and then the main weed killer is called diflufenzapir. That's the active ingredient. So anyway, I just listed Milestone, Tordon, Chaparral, Duracore, and Distinct all as options to what you're doing for straight 2,4-D if that's what you're spraying on your farm. And we just, again, want good weed control, we want good residual, and overall better total tonnage out of your grass. So I would encourage you, consider using Rise Up or some gibberellic acid in the spring and the fall. Use a good and maybe better than what you're currently using broadleaf product. And then take a real hard look at treating the overall pasture like crop ground. So soil test, fertilize accordingly, and like Darren said, do rotational grazing. So those are, I would say, are our key points on pastures. We really look at pasture as this thing that to me is a, a lot of untapped potential. We can do a lot more with overall grass production, I believe, 
if we just treat it more like crop ground. So I'm excited as we go into the future, especially as crop prices go up and hopefully uh, beef prices go up and everything. So we can all afford to do a little more stuff out in our pasture ground. And and I, I think this is, there, there are just a lot of, there, there are a lot of good opportunities for pasture to make it better. All right, Brand, step back into the Ag PhD mailbag. I got this question. Uh, what about copper sulfate in tomatoes? I'm wondering, are copper sulfate products able to control bacterial diseases, fungal diseases? What's your opinion about using that? Okay, well, they have some activity. You just have to be a little bit careful. You put too much copper sulfate on and you'll kill the plants. If you don't put enough on, then you're not going to do much in terms of the diseases. If you do put that very, very low rate on, though, you would probably still get a little bit of what we would call foliar feeding or foliar nutrition going into that plant. Now, Darren and I were just talking earlier today, and let's see what crop was that, Darren? Corn, where they said uh, micronutrients past V5 don't seem to do a lot of good. I don't, I, I can't back that up. I, I don't know in, where I'm going with this is outside of your disease control question. Are you going to do some good for your plants at that point? That I'm not sure of. I haven't looked at studies for that particular crop, but I am saying yes, copper sulfate has been proven to give you some activity on disease control, but it can be inconsistent and spotty and rate. It's very rate dependent. All right. Lots more questions to get to here in the Ag PhD mailbag time, but we still have time for your phone calls and questions as well. 844-44-AG-PHD is our phone line. And you can email us radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back after this. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. The only innovation that matters is the one I need. With NK Seeds, their R&D program actually listens to farmers like me. So I get solutions that solve my challenges. With the support to make them count. Because progress means pushing my potential. And success matters. Push your potential at nkseeds.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. 
How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. And one of the things we do on our show, we take live calls and we take questions all the time via email. So if you ever think about something on your farm, you're like, man, I wonder what those guys would think about that, or I'd like a second opinion, or I'd like somebody to look at my soil test or plant tissue test or something like that. Please send it to us, radio at agphd.com, or just tune in between two and three and give us a phone call and we can chat about it. 844 44 Ag PhD. All right, Brian, get this one from Diego, who happened to be on vacation during the Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop. And he sent this picture from his hotel room looking out at what I'm assuming is the ocean. Uh, thanks for showing us that, Diego. Now we're a little bit jealous. Maybe we need to do our corn agronomy workshop from there. That might have been a better deal. All right, Diego. Well, in the said, future, if we do all this stuff online and virtual, then yeah, we, we could, could be, be sitting, anywhere. Right, we could okay, be sitting so, here. Go ahead. So Diego said this. He, he goes, I got a question for you guys about corn seed population. I'm wondering what variables do you use to determine where you're going to put a higher population out or a lower one? I saw that cation exchange capacity and organic matter really aren't good indicators since the weather can change and yep. lighter years perform better on rainy years and heavier ones perform better on dry ones, etc. Yep. Right. So what do you use to determine where you go up and down on population? <laughs> yep, exactly. There, there, There isn't anything that's proven to work every single year because of exactly what you say. We're not in control of the weather. If let's say you had sand in irrigation, you're much more in control, okay? But yeah, we do vary it. And a lot of times we're varying it based on prior yield. And we are varying it based on some of those soil factors we can't control like cation exchange capacity. The lighter the soil, and, and so I'll put it to you this way. We've got some ground, we've got some sand strips that run through our fields. And we do cut back on population there. Now, have we cut back too much? Um, not enough. That is a good question. We just know that consistently we can't produce as much yield there because we're in a dry area of the country. And it occasionally we get a lot of rain, but it's not often. I mean, two, three years out of 10. So our odds 
are in our favor if we cut back some there. But yeah, it's kind of all relative. So let's put it this way. When I've got what I consider heavy ground at 20 CEC and I got light ground at 9 CEC, on average, we're going to probably plant 25% to 40% more seeds in the heavy ground versus the light ground. I would also say when we talk soybeans, we usually will do the opposite. We'll start cutting back on our population where we have very heavy ground, and especially like where we've had white mold or something like that, and we'll increase it where we have the lighter ground where the the crop typically doesn't get as tall, we have more issue with weeds there, and we don't have the disease problem in that that really light ground. So we we do one thing in corn, we do the opposite in soybeans, but yes, unfortunately, nobody can ever outguess it, so we don't have the exact answer, but just relatively speaking, that's typically what we advise people. All right. I uh, get a question here from Trayton. He said, I'm wondering what percentage of nutrients present in the soil are actually available for a plant to use during a given year with moderate rainfall? And according to your soil test, how much of that do you expect to be available? It all depends on which nutrient we're talking about. So, for example, with potassium, there are typically thousands of pounds sitting there in the soil, and there might only be hundreds of pounds that are available, and then maybe only, in some cases, uh, not very many pounds that the root is actually going to get to. So on most soil tests, they're going to show you what's available or what should be available throughout the course of the growing season, something like that. So not a lot of tests are going to show, okay, how much potassium is actually in the rocks in the soil and things like that. So anyway, most of the time with a soil test that you get, there are what they call extraction methods that are used, and it's just to basically try to simulate the organic acids that the crop roots throw out. So in other words, it's going to be what's literally available and sitting there today and what those roots could make available over the course of one growing season. All right. Get a question, a drainage question here from James. He farms down in the Houston, Texas area. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we should probably get the phone call first. Sorry about that. I wasn't paying attention. Got Jeremy over in Minnesota. Sorry about that, Jeremy. I was ready to dive into another email that I was kind of excited to talk about, but uh, but we want to catch your question first. What's going on today? Oh, I can't blame you there. I like talking about drainage too. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Say, I just got a question. I'm wondering, I know on the past show you guys talked about, um, like, the different yield potential for maturity ranges. Like, do you have any idea or ever done any studies, like, what's the maximum yield potential out of a 90-day versus a, you know, 85-day or what? What hit a guy would take going, you know, different, you know, every five maturity range or zones, numbers? Yeah, as far as top-end yield... There's a lot more top-end yield than we're getting out of all those maturity zones. We've raised some as early as 85-day corn in our farm and gotten as high as 240 bushels out of that. We've had uh, you know, some, some numbers touching in the threes on some of these numbers, too. So, yeah, is there more potential than that? Sure, there is. When we but, see what some of the yield champs are getting out there, 300 bushel, okay, 400 but, bushel, and more, they can do that even on some earlier maturity things. They but, can, but yeah, do you think, Darren, that 90 day on average has more genetic yield potential than 85? Yes. I do too. 
So it, the question is how much? And and the other big thing okay, well, that we got to look at. Here's the other thing. Can you get 300 bushel corn out of 90 day corn? Absolutely not a question in my mind. You sure can. And you can out of 85 day too. Yeah. So here's the thing. We talk right. about this a lot, Jeremy, on our farm because we're we're not just like actors pretending to be brothers. We're real brothers. So we're going to disagree on stuff. I don't mind pushing that maturity a little bit more than Brian does sometimes, especially as we get a little bit later. And sometimes Brian's like, you know what, Darren, we're going to get frost and we're going to have problems if we push that too far. I I don't mind the corn as much as the beans. The corn we can dry down, and I used to run our grain dryers for 20 years on our farm, so I don't mind drying corn. It, it doesn't cost much with I our I don't mind setup, drying corn but, either because the dryer is right outside of Brian's yeah. bedroom window, yeah. so it works great for me. But but, but anyway, here's, here's the whole thing, and what we worry about, Jeremy, is there are a lot of people in northern Minnesota and up in North Dakota that a couple years ago started pushing the maturity. Instead of going 80-day, they went 85, just as an example. Well, then we got a really cold year, and then they had 35% moisture corn in the fall and they weren't they didn't want to take it out and i get that so then it sat till spring well then that hurt the next year's crop and that's one of the big things our dad always told us is he's like guys i don't care if it's 35% you have to get it out because it's now going to affect your next year. And so we always have to think, what's the worst case scenario? And if you're not prepared to handle the worst case scenario in raising a 90 day, for example, that means you've got to raise an 85 and take just a little bit less top end potential because you're not set up to handle that worst case. Uh, so like on our farm, we we actually are set up to handle worst case. So all our corn literally on 2000 acres could be 35% moisture. It will get out, it will get out on time and it will get dried. But, you know, not a lot of people can say that. So that's part of the reason, like for me, Darren just said he's willing to push maturity. I agree on our farm. But for a lot of farmers that we consult for, we just tell them, yeah, you probably don't want to push it too much because we know what your drying capacity is or the fact that you'd have to haul it into the grain elevator and it would it would break you to to. So I think if you're looking for more yield... Just saying, well, I'm going to plant a five-day later maturity is not necessarily going to get you there. I think there's plenty of agronomic things you can do to the current maturity that you're raising. I agree. Uh, but we, right. we, we, I, I think both for Darren and me, we'd rather raise 110 than 100 if if it was just flat Absolutely. out yield. That's it. We'd rather raise 100 than a 90. We'd rather raise a 90 than an 80. But we've got to be realistic about the other things. And if there are so many other things, to Darren's point, that we could change that will help our yield, no matter what we're doing, then we probably better focus on those first. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm in the same boat as you guys. I mean, I'm set up for drying and all that, so I, I ain't too worried about it. But it's just uh, kind of nice too to every now and then have a little bit drier corn. You know, spread the risk a little bit. But like I said, if it, well, like last year, it, uh, I think we had what 85 to 95 day range planted. Then we got an early frost, and I think it kind of capped the yield and everything. And everything was kind of right around that 200 bushel range. So right. It's like, well, I mean, why <laughs> push it? If right. It get too, yeah, right, exactly. Yep. So, yeah, now I, I, I will tell you, we spread our maturity in our farm more than most everybody. We go from like 95 all the way to 110. So, I mean, we're literally 15 days. Most people will do five to eight days. Now, if you're doing a 10-day range, that's that, I mean, that that is pretty good. And so if you're going 85 to 95, for example, that's a pretty good range and you just have to kind of vary it year to year. One other thing that I will throw out there is there, there are websites you can go to. I know Illinois has a good one. It's basically a GDU predictor. So based on your planting date, that's when we want to change maturity. The later we get, we got to be realistic about how many days we have left. Hey, Jeremy, we got to run. Thanks for the call, though. Yep. No problem. Thank you. 
Had a fun day today talking about pasture crop protection programs. Again, if you have any questions for us, radio at agphd.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.